Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Amanda Russo, welcome to Listening with Leaders. You are the founder and CEO of Cornerstone Paradigm Consultants, which can be found at cpcchangeagent.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You are a high-level process and change agent consultant. Tell us a little bit about your backstory before we get into who you are. Sure. So really, Doug, actually, this is this is a new epiphany. Um, <laughs> I realized very recently that the seed was planted many, many decades ago, right? I was just a teenager kind of working this part-time job um, in a restaurant, right? In high school, that kind of thing. And helping the business owners of this part-time job really run the business. And I really liked it. Um, and so it, it kind of sounds a little bit funny that that's sort of where it started. I was just a kid, but really I, I sort of learned a lot about supply chain and I learned a lot about the running of the business and I was inherently just very good at it. Um, and I kind of gravitated toward it. And so that sort of love for running businesses, which I now know is a, you know, a fractional COO, um, kind of carried throughout my career. You know, I, I worked on the trading floor. I worked in some of the major retailers and I always just sort of gravitated toward the running of the business as opposed to some of the other sort of things, you know, that are components of running a business like marketing or sales or whatever it might be. I always just kind of gravitated toward the the operations of the business. So here I am, uh, almost seven years later in my own business, running, um, you know, a process improvement, fractional COO business, uh, helping other companies kind of become more efficient and and just, you know, run their their overall businesses better. What did you do before you formed uh, your, your company? Yeah, so I've worked for um, corporate entities. I was um, I worked for a, a major insurance company. I've worked for financial services companies, uh, all in an operations capacity in one way, one you know one form or the other. Um, always just loved it, you know. Um, yeah. So when you wake up in the morning, what gets you really excited to go to work? You know, I think the idea of what we do is going, you know, here's the way I could frame it. So the thought that we can change and we do change people's lives is really fun and exhilarating for me. Um, you know, we had a, a, a business that came to us. The leader had an idea of what she believed was wrong or, you know, why they weren't able to meet their numbers and meet the demand of their customers. And, you know, we kind of start digging deep into what's going on. And, um, 
long story short, it, it actually wasn't what the leaders thought. It was something completely different. Pretty typical, uh, though, I would imagine. Say it again? I said that's pretty typical. It is. It is. And, and so that's kind of what's really fun about putting this puzzle together. It's, it's first taking it apart. It's first understanding what the picture should be um, versus what the picture is. And um, and then kind of making some sense out of it. And so, in that particular instance, the, one of the leaders that was sort of removed a bit from the C-suite uh, when we were done, and we we kind of automated some of the manual tasks and fixed the fixed the situation. Um, she actually called me and said, "You changed my life, right?" Because she's incredibly stressed, you know physically ill over some of this. It's an enormous amount of pressure. Um, you know, people who aren't doing the job really don't understand the job. And so they don't understand the minutiae of it. And, and so when I think, sit back and think about the lives we can change, the weight that we can take off of someone's shoulders, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's kind of a cool feeling. I gotta be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're serving others, and you're successful yeah gratitude makes 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 your life a life worth living yeah it really does so the kind of work that you do are you are you primarily doing consulting where you're going in and making recommendations or are you an implementer as well we're an implementer so we cover end-to-end business operations those people process technology and customer experience. We don't do any financial oversight. We really stick to our wheelhouse. Um, And that does a lot of the times include identifying technology debt, um, looking for things like shadow IT, which is just a fancy way of saying third-party applications that let's say IT hasn't uh, approved. Um, We look for things like zero day vulnerability, which maybe some of your your audience might understand as you know, a piece of technology that may be sunsetting or should sunset um, and is leaving them exposed to, you know, cybersecurity risk and, and, and so on and so forth. So we really cover end-to-end ops. And then with that, we either eliminate technology, consolidate, um, stack the technology that they currently have. You know, it's, it's quite a process, but we implement, train, we can do business continuity planning. Um, so it's, it's really end-to-end. Yeah, I take it that the that the skill set that you and your colleagues bring to the table are skill sets that a client typically wouldn't have in house. It's really, frankly, it's they might have a version of it. Um, we, we see that a lot. Um, they have a version of us. Um, sometimes you'll hear like Lean Six Sigma or something something to that to that effect, and so there'll be a version of us. But it is really hard to do this when you're in-house and you're so close to everything, mm. you know, and then of course there's, you don't want to step on someone's toes and then there's that component of it. And so hiring folks that are external and kind of a fresh set of eyes is sort of like hiring a new employee, right? As a new employee, you sort of see all the things that you're like, holy moly, like this shouldn't be this way, but we're experts. So we have an expert eye. Um, it's kind of like that. And so, um, so you come in without the political baggage and and without having to deal with the internal politics to kind of, as you say, give a fresh eye on everything and make suggestions that might be politically unpalatable to some people, but necessary for business success. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of a finesse 
with us there ha- you know there's a little bit of a finesse in delivering that message that no it's it's you um no um but you you know there there is a little bit of a finesse to that and 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 um you know everyone could exercise the muscle of improvement right in in one way or the other so um it's about collaboration. It's about improvement. It's about improving the company overall and improving the lives of the team members. It's it's an overall sort of not what you're going to lose, but what you're going to gain rather than, you know, pointing the finger or blaming someone. It's it's really like, okay, this is what it is. Let's move on. Let's fix it and move on. I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not, when I wonder what the pain point is that people have to get to before they call you and say, hey, Amanda, I need some help. Yeah, I mean, I think the best way that I could word it or position it is when you've got a business issue that you or your team or your executives have tried so many different things to mitigate it or to correct it, whether it's a lead time in your warehouse or um, improving the contact center, um, you know, your call flow, taking on more customers. There's something that's happening, right? Positive or negative. And you've tried a number of things. Usually it's the DIY, right? Every company tries the DIY version of, of fixing problems. Right. Um, and it doesn't work. It's not getting better. Um, that's typically when, you know, because you're seeing the symptoms or the company is seeing the symptoms of a problem, but we're going to get to that root cause of it. So, yeah. So are you typically called in by high level C or C level people? Usually, usually it's um, C-suite or, you know, a level below Mm -hmm. C-suite. You know, I would say our business partners within the organization are folks that are not quite frontline, right? So they're not doing the work. Those are, they don't usually have, um, you know, the purse or the power, Um, but they're not so far up the chain, like in the C-suite. And if they are, that's fantastic as well, but they're typically not so far up in the C-suite that they don't really understand. They usually sit kind of in the middle. Um, But there have been instances where COOs have brought us in and said, I give up. I, I don't know. I don't know what to, you know, and we're, you know, and, and that's, that's also a great position yeah. to be in. So. Yeah. yeah. So when you see your most challenging moments doing your work, what, what, are, what are you usually seeing? Yeah, that's a great question. So <clears throat> I would say in my line of work, because we don't work, we work for the organization, but not in the organization. And so when we are up against resistance from someone who has been there for however many years, or here's how I would say it. Change is scary, no matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you want the change, if you need the change, no matter what it is, change is scary. And so a lot of the times when I am facing resistance or my team is facing, usually it's me, it's the horse's mouth delivering, right? Like that kind of news. But like, um, you know, when I'm facing resistance or the team is facing resistance, it typically stems from fear, typically. And so it's me spending a bit more time or one of my team members spending a, a bit more time understanding 
their why and what their resistance is about and kind of talking them through, you know, why we suggested this and, you know, what it will do for the business, for them, for their role, you know, and, and kind of like managing that anxiety because, you know, you're, you're dealing with a leader who doesn't want to show you he or she is terrified. And I know that I, I already know that, right. Going into that conversation, it's, it's, you're terrified. The arrogance comes from being terrified or very nervous, right. Or, you know, you're going to then be obsolete and everyone's going to know that you don't actually know what the heck's going on or something like that. So it's a, most of it is fear. And it's yeah. interesting that uh, that you're describing um, strong emotions and strong emotional reactions yeah. with people in corporate in the corporate world. Yeah. I, I've been writing lately. I just did a LinkedIn post today on a, a new concept that I'm playing around with called adult normative alexithemia. Right. And what that means is a big word. Yeah, <laughs> alexithemia is is a, a condition where we don't have the ability to express understand, be aware of, or express our emotions. And when we talk about it being normative, our culture has created a series of rules and practices that force us to suppress our emotions. And then as adults, we're no longer able to process our emotional experience or we process it poorly. And to your point, we we end up engaging in maladaptive behavior like arrogance or denial. And what I'm working at, what I teach is the antidote to that, which is how do you how do you get around, how do you teach people to become emotionally self-aware? How do you teach people how to be able to read emotions and work with emotions as data as opposed to some woo-woo crazy stuff that everybody's afraid of? Because yeah. everybody, everybody's afraid of emotions. So I can just imagine you in a conversation and you're looking at this. CEO who's terrified, yeah. terrified of failure, terrified of being discovered, terrified of the imposter syndrome, terrified yeah. of the facade being ripped down, sure. and terrified of ignorance. It's and and to be honest with you, it's not just the COO. It's usually managers below the C-suite. There you go. Who maybe aspire to be in the C-suite or aspire to be promoted or you know, whatever it might be. Um, yeah. And they're afraid yeah. of failure. It's a, very, it's a very real emotion. And I, and I completely get it. It's, you know, um, yeah. So that, that part of my job is, is hard. I bet. Um, but we know, I know it's coming. I mean, there's always at least one. Um, it's, 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 it, that's the other thing I've learned uh, is that human behavior and human emotions are totally predictable. Oh yeah. There's no, there's no, once you understand what you're looking for, there's no longer chaos. It's right. just emotionality. And now what are the tools we bring to bear to deal with that emotionality? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, hmm. So what is it, I can already know part of the answer, but what is it unique about you that you bring to the table that makes you and, and um, your company so successful? Yeah, I mean, I would say as far as like, the way that we operate and go about what we do. Um, the, I think the thing that makes us a bit different is we get very granular. And 
Um, I know you and I spoke about listening and I'm going to, I'm going to include that in a second, Good. <laughs> um, but I think the thing that makes us specifically us different is we take the long way. Um, so our process mapping and our technology stack mapping, it's not high level and that is deliberate because I really need to understand the full picture of the current state from the people doing the job. You're going, say you're going down to the line level. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and that is imperative for us to understand what the boots on the ground or the frontline folks, what they're doing, how they are doing it, how they feel about what they're doing, how they're doing it, so on and so forth. Some of the workarounds, some of the, you know, we find out like the manager reprimands me in front of other people. Like we find out all of these different things that you wouldn't learn from a stakeholder. I wouldn't learn, you know, that it's embarrassing when the manager yells at me in front, right? Like we won't know that from a stake. So we need to learn all of those things. And so it does take a little bit longer, but it tells us a very real picture. And then we can have a very real mature conversation about what is actually going on and ways that we can approach or, uh, you know, addressing it. So um, it's, I think that's what makes us a little bit different. Um, I will let you in on a little bit of a secret that I probably shouldn't share. Um, but folks who are in my profession and have not Googled this, cause you really can't Google it and learn it. It's, you know, uh, I mean, I, I don't know that you can really even learn it in school, but you are listening, not with your ears, but your eyes. Right. That's correct. And so I am listening for what you're not saying. That's correct. I am listening for what makes you uncomfortable That's as correct. you're telling me that you love something. And I can visibly see that you hate, you hate this with every ounce of your being or you're not saying something about your manager or whatever, whatever it might be. I'm listening with my eyes. My team is listening with their eyes um, and they will ask questions and we're very, very skilled. So I think that's what makes us a little bit different is asking the right follow-up questions and genuinely being curious. And I think lastly, we don't share that information. So if someone tells me, their managers throwing staplers or whatever it might be like being crazy. We're not, I'm not going to say, Oh, you know, Doug said, Mike is throwing state. Like we don't out anybody. You maintain confidentiality. We do. Um, and of course, if it's something like someone is actually throwing a oh, staple, yeah, I mean, right? Like that's, that's, pretty, that, of course. Right. that's, that's very different. But um, I think those are some of the things that make us different is that we're really good at this. Yeah. How do you, how do you, how, how do you, how did you and your team develop these skills? Because everything you said about listening yeah. is um, spot on. It's yeah. I, I teach I teach people my mantra is ignore the words. Don't even yeah. the words. They're going to give you not. They're not going to give you any information. Yeah. and they're never going to tell you the truth. Like they're never going to tell you the truth. Not out. Not right out the gate. Um, they don't know you. They don't trust you. That's you know, right. you're likely going to fire them. Right. There's a whole story that's happening. Right. Um, how did you know? I think it's. I hate to say it this way because I don't want to deter people from getting into this profession because I love it so much. Um, and, and I want more people to love it and more people to, to gravitate toward it. 
but I really do. I think it's one of those things and I'm, I could be wrong. This is just my opinion, but I think you have to just be inherently good at it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think everyone is cut out to be everything. And if you go into this profession for the money or, you know, you just, you look at, you know, these really large consulting companies and that's your goal is to make a ton of money. I don't think you're going to be very good at it. You've got to really love and be good at problem solving and doing puzzles and kind of the really tedious work. It's got to be something that you, that you genuinely truly love and you can be not, and you can try to be as unbiased as possible um, when doing it. Well, we're always going to be biased. Uh, it's yeah. just a question of how, how much of those biases can we recognize? Yeah. In our, try, you you know. try not to be, you try to be kind of like a new employee, right? Um, it's certainly in the discovery process, but it's hard. I mean, human nature does make it hard, but you, you know, you, you, I work at it. I mean, I think the team also probably works at it. You know, you try to be as, you know, neutral as, as, as you possibly can. So, yeah. So you run into, you run into, you run into a, a situation where you see that maybe part of the problem is you've got managers in the middle somewhere that are dysfunctional. Yes. How, how do you, how do you, how do you handle that? And you say part of the solution is figuring out what to do with these people. Yeah. I mean, depending on, where the dysfunction, what, how much of the dysfunction has to do with the process in and of itself, right? Like if you're not setting up your team for success because the leadership doesn't want to invest in the technology or whatever it might be, right? There, there are different ways to deliver that message. Mm -hmm. um, if it's just management is dysfunctional, what, what does that mean? Is that, are you not a great listener? Are you a manager? Are you a micromanager? Are you and in control? Are you aloof? Are you what you know? What is what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And then we'll say something like leadership training. <laughs> and I will suggest programs. And of course, like I'll have a have a conversation. This this actually did happen. I had a conversation. It was there was I, I wouldn't say that they were dysfunctional. I would say like like a lot of leaders and i'm sure you've met many of them they were promoted within the company no one taught them how to be a leader they may not even have wanted to be a leader right right you just you yeah, know you no just kind of like aptitude to see do you have the aptitude or the essential skills of leadership yeah You're just getting promoted because that's a natural sequence and you get a bigger paycheck exactly um, and you're next in line and you're never late and you're right. All these other things. Yeah. Um, and maybe even the person that promoted you is also maybe, and I don't want to say lackluster leader, but like maybe it doesn't have a ton of solid skills to be a leader. Right. Um, that's why I always say like, there's a muscle. I think the muscle of improvement, everyone can exercise everyone. And so leadership training is not a negative. Um, no. And, that, and that's really what I what I what I said to this uh, CEO is it's not a negative. I think we can all learn how to be um, intentional listeners and learn how to manage up and how to communicate. Right. And so it's it's not a negative. I mean, in this particular instance, they really needed it. You know, the, the, the folks that I was um, mentioning. 
but you know, it's not a negative. It's, I don't, I've never met anyone who is perfect and didn't need improvement in some way. Right. So it's not a negative. We can all use it. If not for nothing, you'll learn something new that you didn't know before. Right. So. So when you suggest that kind of remedy to people, how, how is it normally received? I'm sure you're. I'm sure you're very graceful in the way that you deliver it. Yeah, I mean, I try. I certainly try to be. Um, I mean, sometimes I think leaders can see something like that, and I don't mean get a coach. You know, there's a whole host of coaches out there. I don't mean that. I mean um, an actual program that is structured and right, and we help them sort of comb through some of that. Um, I think it's viewed as an expense, and it's yet another thing we got to spend money on. And I get it. Um, where's the ROI and why where's should, the ROI in it? Why um, spend money in something that's not going to affect the bottom line? What happens if I, we invest all this money in them and then they leave? And yeah, all yeah. these excuses. What happens if you don't invest and they say, <laughs> there's that old saying, but, but um, you know, yeah, I, I think it's viewed as an expense and I completely understand it. Um, sometimes we, we, so, I did suggest this twice now, um, offsite, you know, um, team meetings and off, um, blanking on the word of, but offsite sort of all team meetings so that they can all collaborate and kind of hang out and get to know each other, but a, in a structured way, that's also another way to help people stay connected if they're a remote, con- you know, so it's, it's, sometimes it's viewed as expense. If I, if I feel like the company is small enough, and when I say small, I mean like under hundred million dollars and they can do that. And it's pretty seamless. It could be overall beneficial in a number of ways. And we kind of list that out. You know, we, we make them a priorities list. We categorize it by people process technology. Right. And I'll say, look, you know, you people feel disconnected or, you know, we'll, we'll make the case for it to back it up with evidence. And we don't just flippantly say like leadership, you know, like we don't just, we, there's, there's evidence to back it up within the organization. You, you alluded to something that uh, that is a bit I'm curious about them, and that is remote versus hybrid versus in-person work. And of course, we're seeing in the business press that there's a hull and baloo about calling people back to the office, and yeah. which I think is going to be a failure. Uh, once you taste freedom, you don't want to give it up. Yeah. How are you, how what are you seeing out there? Yeah, I mean, we see all kinds of businesses. I mean, I have seen businesses that are completely remote and they have over a thousand employees. Um, and then I've seen businesses that have 30 employees and they're all, they have to be in the office. Um, I don't necessarily have a feeling or a thought one way or the other, because I do think it's specific to business leaders and, and how they want to run and operate their company. Um, we really help them with the how. So I think that's also pretty important is like, I will never tell anyone what to do. I just show them how we do, we do the how part of it. Um, my personal, I mean, I'm a remote business. I've always been remote. I'm also a global business. I have team members all over the world. It works for us. Um, it's a little more demanding on myself, the leader of it because I need to spend one-on-one time. And, and so that there's a little bit of a complexity there that I think in person, um, you know, companies may not have or hybrid 
Um, so I, I think it just depends on the business, but they all work, by the way, all three versions of that work. Right. Depending on, I think you're right. It, it depends on the business. It depends on the leadership style. And it depends on your ability as a leader to let go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're a leader and you're trying to micromanage people, you're already in the wrong role. You're already in the wrong role. Right. You're hiring people that you don't trust. You know, what? who is it that you really don't trust, right? Is it you or them? Right. So, exactly. So, um, you know, I think there's a misconception there. People don't work if they're home or they're walking their dog in the middle of the day. And what do you think they're going to do in your office? <laughs> exactly. I mean, people. Online shop or whatever, whatever that you think they're like, it's ridiculous. People have a job to do. They're going to do their job. And if they're not doing their job, whether they're in your physical brick and mortar office or they're at home, home it's, I think people want to work and they like to work. I don't, you know. If there's, if there's sufficient meaning and reward. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Where you get, I think where, what I see is that where you get into problems with people working is because they've got a crummy manager. They're not motivated. They're not excited. They feel like they're being disrespected, not heard, micromanaged. And they not see, valued. Not yep. valued. Screw you. Yep. I'll, I'm going to do, I'm going to quite quit, right? I'm going to do yep. the amount that I have to do to keep the job and look for, look for a better landing. Oh, yeah. I mean, this has been happening, Doug, you and I know this, it's the beginning of time, right? Like people look for another job. Yeah, the, the pandemic kind of exploded all because we see it because we all were forced to go online. Yeah, but, but you're going to do it either way. Like they're, right. you're not controlling the situation any better if they're in person or at home or, you know, it's. And to your point, it comes back to how much you've learned about leadership. Yeah. And I mean, it's some, something as simple as knowing how to run a meeting. I, I cannot tell you how many people I run across that don't know how to run a good meeting. And it's so it's well, it's not that simple, but apparently business schools don't teach people how to run meetings. They don't. <laughs> they don't teach you a lot of things. It's really quite funny. Like when I think back to this, when I was in business school and just what I'm doing now, it's, they don't teach you a lot of no. those fundamentals, you know? Um, and the reason for that, there's a reason for that. It's, it's one of the biggest gripes I've got about graduate, even though I'm a graduate professor myself, um, Graduate professors get tenure by publishing, and you can only publish on stuff that you can measure. And so teaching listening skills, teaching leadership skills, teaching how to something simple like how to run a meeting, like there ought to be a MBA class 101 on how on the basics of people management, running meetings, communicating, all that stuff. Yeah. You can't publish on that because there's no data on it. And so they don't teach it. Yeah, it's not hard numbers. It's not quant, you know, and everybody wants to be in quant. It's a lot of it doesn't really make any sense, you know, um, like some of the fundamentals of just being a leader in general. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I see it. I see it. And in, in certainly in what I do is a huge problem um, or a, I should say a huge opportunity. It's not a problem. It's a huge right. opportunity um, to get better. And I think for folks that don't see that as a value add to themselves you know they're going to they're really only hurting themselves because you're going to lose great people you know you're going to leave a lot of money on the table as far as the business goes and so it's, overall it's yeah the prime example is amazon they lose 14 billion dollars a year because yeah. they quit 
Yes. And that's a third of their reported revenues. Yeah. 14 billion in turnover. It, it, that's a lot of making sense. And they also, there. I mean, there's a whole, whole I, we can get into, and we can have a whole show just on Amazon. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, the errors, the, right. you know, it, there's a whole host of things. There's so many other things in the operations component of it that I think if leaders understood, and that's this is not a shameless plug, by the way, it, it's no, really genuinely, whether it's me or someone else, there's a whole host of things within the operating of the business that, that if we just got it right, you wouldn't see numbers like that. Right. You just I agree. paid people a fair wage. If you treated them fairly, if you set I, them up for success, if you give them all the tools and the resources that they need. You don't work their butts off driving trucks around when it's 110 degrees outside with no air conditioning and they don't have any place to go to the bathroom. I mean, it's ridiculous. Simple. It, that's a simple stuff, right? Like, so it's, it's really, um, any, I'm thinking like even in the warehouse, the efficiency of it, the right. it's, you know, it would dip just a little bit into their bottom line, but certainly not numbers like they have on their turnover. Well, what they would see is, yes, it, would, it costs them to do that, but the savings on the back end are correct. You, it you would know, it would be silly. It would pay for itself. Pay for itself, you know, exponentially. Yeah, it would. So they would like to fix their operation. <laughs> no, no. Um, but I'm just saying, like it's that might, be a, that might be a will you don't want to swallow. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but there are so many things, like even just for your listeners within business operations, that if you just addressed them it would make not only your lives, but your business, the customer experience, so many things so much better that it, it would be you know, for what itself. What, is, what, what, what I'm hearing is back to basics. Just get back to basics. Do the foundational stuff, the yeah. common sense foundational stuff that maybe you can't see because you're too close to the picture, but it's not, It's it, I'm sure it's complex at times, but. I'm yeah. sure there are a lot of really simple solutions that if implemented properly make a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I would just also say, try not to take shortcuts. Uh, I see that more often than not, and it will backfire. Right. Um, so if you do a crummy effort at getting to the root cause and you ask your leadership or you ask your, you know, you're asking the wrong, you're already asking the wrong people. Right. Um, and so I, I've seen that quite a bit is that they make an effort, but it's not a right. great effort, right? And so you've done it, but you've done it so poorly that you still see the same numbers. Um, that's why I, I, frankly, that's why I started this business because I've seen it. And um, unless you really get serious about wanting to solve this problem, being comfortable with potentially being wrong and also being comfortable with just fixing it and everyone's life gets better, you know, I think you're going to find yourself sort of in a little bit of a circle. Right. Yeah. One more question. Yeah. Yeah. Amanda, what's one thing about yourself that we would never know unless you revealed it to us? Ooh. What is one thing about myself? I've shared this on other podcasts. Let's get something new. Oh. 
one thing that you wouldn't know about me? Huh. That's a great question. Well, okay. Um, I think you wouldn't know this about me. And I also think it's a little bit unusual, not in a, like a weird way, but I'm not really a sit and watch kind of person. If that's funny, like, I don't really like to sit and watch like a concert or a movie or I will, of course, but I'm more of a doer kind of person. So I totally get that. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm pretty active. Um, I adopted two puppies and so they, they keep me very busy, Um, but I used to, you know, be very active and run and, um, you know, I, I loved it and I love being outside and hiking. And, um, so I'm more of like an active person rather than a sit and watch person. That's great. Uh, That would describe me well too. I don't, I don't like doing concerts or going to large group gatherings. I'm I'm an introvert. So that kind of stuff doesn't get me going. I'd rather sit and play my violin. Yeah. Play some jazz or blues. Do or, something. Yeah. Or do Just something. Go skiing. I'm a big yes. skier. Big snowboarder. I love snowboarding. I wasn't much of a skier, to be honest. It's quite comical to watch me ski because I just, I couldn't, I could never get it. I'm, I'm really. It's I'm just, cool. it's a function of, it's a function of finding a good teacher. I'm a, I'm a, I've been a ski instructor for over 40 years. So. Okay. It's just a, fun I'm a much better snowboarder. I'd be honest with there you. you. Um, yeah. Uh, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll take you up on that. But uh, we'll go skiing. All right. All right. <laughs> All right, man. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks Doug for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.